Hey, it's Monique, and this is episode 99 of the Brown Vegan Podcast. And with this show, I love to present veganism from a practical perspective to help everyday people transition in a way that feels good to them. And of course, I love to also sprinkle in some vegan wellness and entrepreneurship because I feel like this is truly a lifestyle and so much more than food. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope everything is going well in your world. I know I've gotten so many messages on social media about whether or not I finished the detox. And the answer is no, I did not make it to 28 days, but I did do 14. So I feel like I, you know, feel like I did something, okay? (laughs) Considering the fact that I've never done anything that long. Uh, Believe it or not, I did get used to the taste. I would say it was around day nine. Oh, I told y'all before, it was just the worst taste ever. And I felt like I wasn't as bothered by the taste. It wasn't something that was like my favorite, but at least I wasn't dreading drinking it around that time. Because I have the 28 day program, I technically do have the rest of the 14 days. So I kind of thinking about doing it next month. I don't know yet. I'm not going to give myself that type of pressure, but at least I still have it on hand if I want to. If you're new to the show and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about the detox that I did with Dr. Bobby Price. Um, Dr. Holistic is his Instagram name. We talked about his detox in episode 91 and I did that but yeah I made it to 14 days I'm taking it as a win and I'm gonna keep on going in this episode of the show I'm chatting with Jasmine she is the producer of the amazing documentary The Invisible Vegan and of course we're gonna chat about her vegan journey why she transitioned how she transitioned um, her documentary as far as the process of putting it together raising money Just everything that goes into that, I thought it was just so important. I always love to hear the behind the scenes of everything. We also talk about ways to transition to vegan life in a practical way and why veganism is so important as far as black veganism and representation in the vegan community and how it actually helped both Jasmine and I go vegan because we saw other black women doing it. Be sure to check out The Invisible Vegan. The full documentary is available on YouTube. I will link it in the show notes for this episode at brownvegan.com. This is episode 99. Anything else that's mentioned in this episode, you can find a link to the resource at brownvegan.com as well. So yeah, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into Jasmine's vegan story. I decided to go vegan. Um, I'm honest about it. It was for completely superficial reasons. I met Bobette Davis, the owner of Stuff I Eat, at her restaurant in Inglewood, and I saw her body, and I was just like, okay, what is this woman doing? Because she is twice my age, but she's like killing the game. I want to age like she's aging. So she said that she ate vegan, you know, 70% raw. So then I'm like, okay, okay. So I decided to try it for 30 days, and when I tried it, I noticed a lot of the problems I've been having like, you know, TMI, but the the bad menstrual cramps and bloating, you know, hemorrhoids, my skin, you know, the extra 10 pounds I want to get rid of. Like I notice all these things start clearing up as well. So I'm like, dang, there's more to, you know, there's more to this than just having a nice body. And I started reading up on veganism. And then I saw, you know, it was linked um, that eating meat and dairy was linked to a lot of the health problems that we have. So from there, again, I'm, I'm getting more and more interested. And then that's when I started kind of reading up on the compassion element. 
So that's uh, kind of my journey in short. It doesn't matter how you get here as long as you get here. So if it's about vanity, whatever works to get you to look at this lifestyle as an option. So I love that. Just finished watching your documentary actually this week. Was it Saturday? Yeah, I just finished watching this week. And one of the things that I love that you talked about is the compassion element. Because um, for a lot of us, I feel like people don't feel like we can talk about veganism from the compassion. It's always about health for black vegans. And so what drove you to look at it from a compassion? Did you see some videos? Did you read a book? Like what made you look at it from a compassionate um, perspective? When I was initially introduced to the animal rights movement, I got introduced to it by seeing um, kind of more extremist. So there was a disconnect because I didn't have context for what they were doing. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, when I learned about uh, the compassion element after I'd already transitioned into veganism, then I had a little bit more context about the other, you know, the other positives of going vegan. And then I was hearing it from like the black perspective, like, you know, hearing it from, you know, reading Afroism, reading Afco's book on, and, you know, animal justice mm-hmm. hit me different than the videos that I was seeing on YouTube. So, yeah, it just kind of took me in a new space. And and it was hard, you know, it was hard to even add that in my film because I feared being ostracized by my community. Like even now, you know, I posted something about how, you know, I people uh, there are people in the vegan movement who were a little disappointed that I didn't center my film on animal rights. They're like, no, you know, the core of veganism is being compassionate and it's about the animals. They're the most they're the most oppressed group. And, and I'm just like, you have to accept brand identity. Like you have to accept that the animal rights and all its goodness, it hits a negative chord with people. And me as a black American woman, I can't operate like a white woman. I can't come out here and do a documentary solely based on animal rights in the middle of black lives matter. People are going to look at me like, Oh, okay. So black men are being black men and women are being executed every time we pick up a newspaper and you are talking about the condition of animals. I would lose a lot of the people that I'm trying to help. It's an important issue to me. And that's why I wanted to, you know, I wanted to put it in there. But first, I have to get people to pay attention. And I felt like health. I felt like that was the way to get people to pay attention because health is what a lot of people are battling. Like health is like, yeah, somebody is more worried about their grandmother's diabetes than what's happening to a cow. And personally, I don't see anything wrong with that logic because I feel like it's going to, you know, later that same compassion might filter them into, you know, the the compassionate side. I don't want people to think I disregarded the movement. It's just like, no, I picked a different entryway. I just said, like, you know what? To start this documentary, I think people are going to be more attached to these issues. And I was very strategic about it. And like people in the animal rights community, like I, you know, some of the extremists, like I need them to put their egos aside. And the difference between me coming at this as a filmmaker is like I'm coming at this caring more about my audience. Whereas like someone who's solely an activist, you're carrying more, you're, you're operating off of emotion. You're operating off of your politics. And that's not always the greatest way to reach the people you're trying to reach. Mm-hmm. So for the people who are listening, who don't know, tell us about your documentary, The Invisible Vegan. Like what motive? Of course, I know the motivation behind it, but just tell us why you decided to um, do this documentary. 
There were there were several reasons. Like one, when you know, when I embarked on my vegan journey, I noticed a lot of the health changes, and like people around me were kind of struggling with the same thing. And I'll give you a, a prime example. I went to the hospital. The doctor's telling me, you know, I have cancerous cells on my cervix. They need to burn off a piece of my cervix. Mm. And my first instinct was. I was very skeptical because I'm a black woman. I'm like, yo, like back in the day, there were systematic programs to sterilize black women. A lot of doctors don't want us having babies anyway. So I'm very skeptical about anyone telling me they need to do anything to my womb. So I asked them, I'm like, how long do I have to try to, you know, handle this in a more holistic manner? And they were just like, yo, you have a few months, but after that, you're going to need to get some kind of surgery and take care of this. I I, I, I fasted. I just said like, oh, look, I'm just going to do a juice fast vegetable and fruit juice that I made myself, cut out alcohol, caffeine, everything. Within a few months, I went back to that doctor. I was fine. There was nothing wrong. And then I found out that several of my friends, you know, like now being older, women were more comfortable about talking about, you know, medical things that we've been through. A lot of my friends, they've had the surgery. So they had pieces of their cervix burned off because that was the only option that was probably offered to them. And I was sitting there thinking like, why? Why wouldn't you tell me, hey, just clean up your diet for a few months? Like, why wasn't that even an option I was told of by my medical provider? So I wanted to make a documentary where I'm telling people of color. So, you know, women ain't out here getting their service cut off. And so we're not falling victim to all these degenerative diseases. Like, look, there's another way. Like, we need to really pay attention to preventative care. So that was one reason. And the second is I, you know, like you, I saw a lot of the vegan documentaries. I really enjoyed a lot of the vegan documentaries and I, and I have to give them credit for inspiring my work, but I also have to, you know, call out a collective problem I've seen in most of those documentaries is they do not include people of color enough at the expert level. You know, I saw one of the docs and it's like, so you're not going to have any people of color in your doc. You're going to wait to you're going to wait until the hour mark to introduce a person of color. And it's to show an example of a family that can only afford to feed their children Burger King, you know, or if we're in the documentary, we're one of the subjects that needs to be helped. And it's like I, I needed more balance with our representation and even the way the message is presented. Like it was always presented for a certain audience. You know, sometimes like my my documentary, yeah, I threw Cedric the Entertainer in there. You know, it's funny. It's fun because that's how some people, you know, some people aren't into documentaries. That is a very, you know, maybe older audience, uh, people who have a certain educational level. And I'm not saying like, oh, I need to dumb mine down because my audience is dumb. No, I'm just saying that different things appeal to different people. And if you keep hitting the same mark, you're going to keep appealing to the same people. So it was about getting a whole new audience, people who weren't even weren't even consider veganism to see that, OK, this is something I could do. I love how you were able to have your, your chef friend come in and you had your friends eat all the vegan food and you just made this like uh, you showed it as a lifestyle opposed to showing it as like somebody doing like a 10 day challenge or something like that. This is like, OK, I can do this and not only can I do this, but I can be satisfied and do it, too. So I think that was really important. You know what I didn't realize, Jasmine, until we started, uh, until I watched the documentary, I didn't realize you're from D.C. So how, <laughs> girl, I was like, what? And it's funny because when we talked before, I kind of thought you were, but I was like, no, nah, I think she's from the West Coast. But why do you, I'm kind of getting okay. DMV vibes though, but I'm like, I don't think she's from here. <laughs> so it was funny to realize that you are from 
DC. So how was it like as far as growing up, as far as your lifestyle, eating and food? Like how did your family see food? Is it pretty like the standard American? Like how did that look for you growing up? You know, there was an emphasis on health in my household. Like my mom, she, I feel like she did what was taught, you know, it's just like, I'm going to give her, like I had a portion of meat and then I would have, you know, a starch and then she would give me a vegetable, mm-hmm. you know? And even when I went to, you know, even when I went to school, she packed me lunches, you know, I'll get like a turkey and cheese sandwich. Then I'll get my little snacks, my gushers or whatever. And then she would give me like a, a fruit item. So she did what she was taught was healthy. My, my roots are from North Carolina. So of course there is a lot of, you know, there's soul food in there too. There's, you know, we're eating a lot of, you know, macaroni and cheese and all that stuff. I didn't eat. I'm not a big fan of macaroni. I was never a big fan of macaroni and cheese, but yeah, we were eating a lot of soul food. And so when I moved to California, it's funny because that affected the way people from my hometown viewed my food journey. Because then instead of like, oh, Jasmine is, um, you know, she found out this new healthy lifestyle. We should check it out. That it became more so, oh, you moved to L.A., you in Hollywood now, so you can't eat the foods you used to eat because you so Hollywood. So that's how it was interpreted. Like under, you know, under, it, it was all jokes. But yeah, a lot of those foods, macaroni and cheese, stuffing, potato salad, string beans, like there was so many kind of soul food staples that I never really liked to begin with. <laughs> People were like, yo, you <laughs> macaroni though, Jasmine. I'm like, okay, I understand if you don't like some of the other stuff, but I'm like, girl. <laughs> so what are your favorite foods now? Like, what do you enjoy eating? What's crazy is I didn't like macaroni and cheese until until I went vegan and tasted vegan macaroni and cheese, which is insane. Most people would think that. But yeah, facts. And um, one of the dishes I really like is my, my fiance is Mexican. So, you know, I, I try to make dishes, uh, you know, I try to make dishes that complement his culture as well. So he loves menudo. So I found a way to make menudo with these like dry, uh, dry fungus mushrooms. And it's, it's like one of my favorite go-to dishes. Like I always make enough for like a week. <laughs> and speaking of that, like we were kind of talking about the Hollywood thing. I know that D.C. is a, definitely an example of there's like across D.C. food deserts. So what do you suggest um, for people who live in areas that don't really feel like they have access to fresh um, fruits and vegetables? Just like in your documentary, you showed you going to a, a local grocery store and they had organic, but it didn't look as favorable as, you know, maybe something across town the, the produce selection wasn't as appealing so like what do you suggest for that for people who live in areas that don't really have access we come from genius we come from brilliance we come from making something out of nothing mm-hmm. so even if you don't you know even if you don't have the means to go to whole foods or you don't have a lot of money use the same creativity when you use creativity to figure out how you're gonna get jordans and a new weave on a low budget work work healthy food into that same into that same motto like okay look i also need to make sure i have this covered too like me honestly it's about sacrifice because i do eat um i do eat very well like i you know i spend i wouldn't say i spend that much on food cuz now my diet is simpler but like for example i don't i don't have money to throw away on louis vuitton bags or you know like super brand name clothes and all that it's like no i have to pay for what really matters so one priorities make the best out of what you have you know if you don't have money for if you can't afford the organic food if you can't afford to go to 
whole foods. I'm not one of those people that think, you know, I wouldn't nitpick with your journey. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yo, you know what? Do the best that you can with what you have. You know, if you can't afford a bunch of vegan options, it's like, okay, then maybe go for, you know, maybe try going for your beans and your lentils, which are usually fairly priced if you buy them out of the bag and just prepare them yourself. If you can't afford organic produce, okay, fine. Just get get the regular produce. Make sure you don't you're throwing salads in there for your kids. And then also just when in our activism, like pay attention to food injustice. Like I, I wanted to put it on people's radar as something we need to be worried about. Like, think about it. Like kids who grow up and you know, just because kids have more money, their parents can get them access to healthier food. That means they have a shot at a better quality life. You know, we're setting our kids up to struggle with diabetes and all these diseases by age 50. You know, these other parents in affluent neighborhoods, they're able to feed their kids healthy, you know, healthy foods. So those kids are going to adopt healthy habits and they're going to live longer lives. And then they have on top of that, they have access to better health. Like us, we have like some people who have access to, you know, Medi-Cal, like, for anyone who's on it and does not know, you know, what it's like to have good quality health care, you are being cheated. Mm-hmm. Like they are playing with your life. So we need to pay attention and we need to take control of our own lives so we don't have to depend on, you know, Medicaid and somebody putting us on lists and our cancer to a year back because we don't have the same access to our health as someone in these affluent neighborhoods. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that I really that I picked up in from your documentary, one of the things that just really stood out to me is how growing up, you said you always felt like you saw images of strong black women, but you never saw images of compassionate black women. Can you tell us what you meant by that? When I think about the health movement, just things I think about, like when I think about the practice of yoga, you know, something that's good for just mental health and spirituality and is actually good for your joints and bones. Or when I think about green smoothies. You know, something that, you know, something you can drink to get a boost of nutrients that's good for your skin, like all these things that are associated with health and even compassion. Women, not only just, you know, people not only just having a pet, but actually caring how they treat other living beings on the planet. I did not have I did not examples of those things. You know, I would always see like white girls in the ads. And because I always saw like white chicks in the ads, I thought it wasn't for me. But guess what? There were black people in the McDonald's commercials. Mm -hmm. So, of course, like if I'm only seeing if people that look like me, if they're gravitating to this product, then that's the product that I'm going to gravitate to by design. You know, there's a reason that when Revlon markets their lipsticks and their their, you know, fingernail polish that they use women because they are trying to get women. So same thing, like the health movement, they're using they were using white people and they were just leaving the black market out. And I guess like when I was growing up, I just in my personal life, like not only in advertisements and marketing and the the overall health movement, just in my personal life, I did I didn't have those examples. Like I saw, like my mom, she's she's an incredible, she's a strong black woman. My teachers, incredible, strong black women, but they just had a different set of concerns. Like they were more concerned with, you know, just overall racial uplift in other areas, but they weren't really concerned so much about like, oh, we got to do this for the environment or, oh, we have to do this for animals. So it was a thing that just never got on my radar. I can relate to that as well. And, you know, 
it's, it's important to see that. And that's why the representation in your film and just your work and, and putting your face out there is so important to see that. Because for myself, I don't think I would have ever went vegan if I didn't see uh, Dr. Breeze Harper. And I read her book. And that was the reason why, because it was the first time that I saw veganism from our perspective. I had never even thought about it from us. I just didn't think it related to me. Do you think overall, Jasmine, that is getting better, though, as far as putting out as far as seeing more of us in the vegan movement? How do you feel about that? Is it getting better over the years? What's your take? I do think it's getting better because when you go from like never being represented to, you know, now being represented, you know, automatically it's a win. I'm going to count it as a win, but we're still in token space. I was going to say like, that. That was going to be my my pushback on it because I feel like, go ahead. I'm sorry. I just, ooh, like you just hit a nerve no. when you said that because that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> it's like a yeah, token. Like, it's not genuine. Yeah. It's, it's even when I watch like TV shows now, like literally it looks like the TV executives, they have sat down with a list and they've gone like, okay, we got our black woman. We got our black man. We got our Latina. We got our gay person. But for, but somehow, some way the, the group, the UN cast they created is usually always still led by a white person. So it's just like, we're going to include you in here because you're complaining about diversity. But at the end of this, the day, like this black character is still going to be under the white character. Yeah, and the same thing is happening in the animal rights commun- community. It's just like, oh, you know, this person is black. Let's get them because they're black. But are you really incorporating these black people into your strategy? Even when I get on the phone sometimes with different organizations, they don't even know how to position it in a way that's not obvious that it's I'm a token. And you just want my face here because I need to have a black face here. And I need, you know, it's just like, come on, come on. I see right through it. It's not cool. So let's talk about the process of putting the documentary together. Like how long did that take? Because I'm just blown just thinking about like how it was editing. It was just really a beautiful documentary. You did an amazing job with it. But what was the process, Jasmine? Like as far as like the conception of the idea to actually putting it out, how long did that take? Oh my gosh, it took years. It took like over five years. Yeah, it takes a long, like, because you got to look at the credits. Like the next time you look at a movie, like look at the credits. Think about all those people that helped put the movie together. And then think about doing the majority of that work yourself. And then having like friends like help out here and there. So it, it was just, it was just a lot. It's funny because I'm, I'm glad people received it the way they received it, but not working without a budget. Like even I did a, I'm doing a film on black people. I was actually not pleased with the way a lot of my black, a lot, a lot of the way the people look in my documentary, because it's like, if you're doing it on a shoestring budget, I was shooting the interviews myself. I'm working the camera. I'm asking the questions. I'm trying to figure out lighting. I'm trying to do too much. I'm trying to stay engaged in the person and pay attention to the camera, but you can't do both at one time. Whereas someone with a budget, they can hire a crew. So it's like you would have an audio person, you would have, you know, a camera person, you would have professional lighting. I would have a makeup artist to make sure that my people are in the best light. So, you know, it was it was hard cutting those corners and trying to work with a shoestring budget and even having to, you know, and even hitting the point where I'm like, okay, I don't have the money to continue financing this and having to beg everyone that you know for money. 
It was a super humbling, humbling I, I experience. Bet. I bet. I didn't notice any of that. But of course, you're the creative behind it. So you notice everything. But I didn't. I thought everybody looked great. It was shot great. So you did a good job, girl. Don't, don't be harping on that because I think it was great. I didn't notice any of that. So if you're anything like me, not only do you want your activewear to be beautiful, but you also want to make sure that it's high performing. And that is why I am so excited to be working with Sweaty Betty for this episode of the podcast. Sweaty Betty has been shaking up the women's activewear market for 20 years, and they have a strong mission to empower women through fitness and beyond. Their power leggings and sports bras are not only comfortable, but they also are very flattering for our bodies. This is a company that was made by women for women, so they can understand some of the things that we have concerns about when it comes to comfort. I'm a huge fan of the power leggings because you can do squats in them. They're super comfortable for running errands. You know, I love to wear leggings for errands. If you ever see me out, that's probably what I'm wearing. So let me tell you a little bit more about the power leggings because I absolutely love these things. They're comfortable. They're made of high quality fabric. So not only are they great for the treadmill, but you can also do yoga in them. They're quick drying after your workout. So you don't have to worry about walking around sweaty. I'm really trying to get better about my fitness. I know you guys have heard me talk about this in previous podcast episodes. So I wore them overnight and took a walk the next morning. I had no problems with it. It was very, very comfortable. I also like how as far as the fit of the leggings, they had their bum sculpting. So it actually lifts up everything in the right area. You know what I'm talking about. So you just look really, really nice when you wear their leggings and their sports bras. And of course, the power leggings are available in a range of colors and patterns. So they have a little bit of something in there for everyone. As a listener of the podcast, I have a special offer for you. All you have to do is visit sweatybetty.com slash podcast and use my code BROWNVEGAN to receive 20% off of your purchase of full price items. Once again, that's sweatybetty.com slash podcast, promo code BROWNVEGAN. I know at one point you told me that you had a little bit of backlash because you try to do the Indiegogo, the fundraising, so that you can put the project out. So, like, what? why do you think that that happened? Or, like, tell us a little bit more about that. It's crazy. Like, people, I, I think that people don't didn't understand, like, how much the documentary costs. Like, for example, if you look at some of the photos, like the, the photo of Angela Davis in, in my documentary. That photo cost me $500 to use in my doc. You know, if you look at like a lot of those video clips, like I use a lot of stock footage. Um, I use the one of the cheaper companies and one of the cheaper companies, the rates are between like 25 and maybe $100 for like four or five seconds of footage. Wow. Now, if you do this math, if you do this math and you look at my documentary, you see how much footage is in the, footage is in there and how many photos are in there, you would understand that a documentary like on a on a super low budget, especially for an hour and a half, will run you about maybe like a hundred thousand. Mm. You know, and I did my documentary for less than that. Like you look at a documentary, like what the hell? You know, he had I think a quarter million dollar, three hundred thousand dollar budget. I don't have an extra hundred k in my bank account. So if I wanted to do this documentary, there was nothing else I could have done but ask people to help me pay for it. And I decided, you know, I tried to pay it forward by making it. It's just like, yeah, I'm charging for it. But then I thought about it. I'm like, so many people help me pay for this. 
technically, I feel like I owe it to people to put it somewhere where it is accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. When I was trying to see the documentary, I didn't realize that what you were doing is doing the screening. So like, you had to go to each, you were going to major cities and you would do a, a free screening of the documentary. What was your motivation behind that opposed to just putting it out right away as soon as it was done? Well, one, the screenings helped me build kind of a buzz around the film. Mm-hmm. So you know, I had people saying like, oh, this is a good documentary, different people seeing it. So then I had more followers on Facebook. You know, my screenings took my, you know, for my um, Facebook page, my Facebook page numbers from like 100 people to like 17K. So then when I built my following, then I was in a position to ask more people for money to help me finish the film because the screenings were, it was really a rough cut screening. That wasn't even the finished version oh, of the film. Wow. So people who've seen the, yeah, if you went to one of those screenings, like I would uh, tell you like, check the film out again because I made a lot, you know, I made a lot of changes. Wow. I didn't realize that, but that's smart. That was really smart. So that you were able to build that and then get the money to finish everything. Are you still doing like the weekly chapters on YouTube? Like what what are you doing with that uh-huh. as far as YouTube? Okay. So every week you put out a new chapter. So for people who haven't seen it yet, tell us like some of the chapters and some of the different segments that you talk about. So what I wanted to do with my doc, instead of kind of focusing on one point of view, I wanted to, you know, kind of highlight a lot of the different things that, you know, people have said in opposition to my journey. And a lot of the questions that African, you know, the questions and concerns from African-American people. So, you know, when one of the things is all veganism, that's that white people. So I'm like, okay, I need a chapter on our food culture to show like, okay, we're not a monolithic food culture. Like everybody is not eating soul food that that might be kind of like our mascot, if you want to say that. But there are plenty of black people who eat healthy and who, you know, eat plant-based diets. So that was one thing I wanted to cover. Um, people care about their body. Like I know men, a lot of men, they want to keep their muscles. They feel like veganism defeats that purpose. So I made sure to do a chapter where I'm kind of dispelling that myth. Same thing with women, you know, we're women of color. So we do care about our curves. We might not be interested in a diet that's like, oh, look, you can, you do this diet, you'll get super duper skinny. Um, to show them like, no, you can still maintain your curves on this diet or depending on like how, how you, you know, what types of foods you eat, it can be something that you can use for weight control. And yeah, in the, the animal rights aspect, I already talked about that. And, and just even the taste, like people say, oh, vegan food is nasty. It's like, I made a diet, you know, I made a section kind of addressing that like a long time ago, you know, it was, it it wasn't the great, you know, vegan items weren't the greatest, like items labeled vegan. You know, we've moved past that where there are a lot of fly vegan options. And then even thinking about veganism as vegan foods aren't just vegan burgers and vegan steaks. Like a lot of the foods you eat already are vegan. When you eat pasta, like the noodles, that's vegan. When you eat French fries, that's vegan. All the vegetables and fruits and beans you eat, those are already vegan. So it's not that you don't like vegan foods. It's like maybe you don't like certain imitation options that were given to you. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's whatever you want it to be. So I think that's that's empowering to know that. And I always say that I would have been vegan years before I was if I realized that it was so so many options. A lot of people see the vegan approach as like, oh, look, there's this group that's trying to force this lifestyle upon people. Now, there are people that are trying to like force themselves on others. I, I want no association with, you know, that method. 
But basically what I feel like I'm doing is I'm giving people an option that they never had in the beginning. You know, when we're when we're kids and we start when I when I started eating, like no one's no one sat me down when I was young and said, like, hey, do you want to follow this diet, which might lead to more weight gain and diabetes and, you know, all these other health problems? Or do you want to follow a more plant based diet where you're getting more nutrients from your food and you're not, you know, feeding into this system that's really just becoming cruel and sadistic. Nobody sat me down when I was young and had that conversation with me. You know, I was kind of forced to eat a certain way. And then there were certain things that were advertised to me. So I wasn't even aware of another option. So now all I'm doing is I'm trying to make people aware of the other option. Whether you go with it or not, that's that's a personal choice. Yes, that's so true. I love how, and even in the film, you said that you want to be the example that you wish you saw. The funniest part to me is when you were in the car with your friends going to see the chef and they wanted to know what they were going to eat. And you really, you didn't tell them I was weak. I was like, yes, <laughs> just, just go there and enjoy the food. It don't even matter what it is. Just, it's going to be good. When it was time to, you know, go vegan and you transition, did you go from vegetarian to vegan or did you, how did that look for you? Uh, initially I did 30 days. I liked what happened. And, but then after a while it it became hard for me to keep up Mm -hmm. because I think what happens to a lot of people who do those, like, Oh, I'm gonna go vegan for 30 days. For some people, you know, they're able to just, they're strong. They're they're disciplined. They're able to knock it out. I think that's awesome. If you can just make the change overnight. But what I found more helpful is to enter veganism the same way one like enters learning a new language, right? So if I was to say like, yo, for the next 30 days, you know, starting tomorrow, I'm only going to speak Spanish when I don't know a word of Spanish. What's going to happen is after a while, I'm not going to, I'm going to get tired because I don't have enough words to communicate what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. So I'm more likely to say, uh, to hell with this. I'm just going to speak English every day. Opposed to if I say, all right, I want to learn Spanish. I'm going to learn a few new words every week, you know, do a few new things every week and gradually learn the language. And then when I know enough of the language, then I can just say like, all right, I'm I'm fluent in Spanish. The same thing. I did the same thing with veganism. Like I every week it's like I try a new, you know, like one new recipe and then I move slowly. Like I'm just like, okay, first. I made my upgrades like the iPhone. Like I just said, okay, this is the Jasmine Vegan 1S. I'm going to cut out pork. So then it's like once I mastered that, it's like, okay, Jasmine Vegan 2, I'm cutting out beef. Jasmine Vegan 2S, you know, a few months later, cutting out chicken. And then like, and then slowly as I cut things out, I replaced them with something else. Like when I cut out chicken, it's like most of the foods that I would use uh, with chicken, I started using seafood. So in my spaghetti, I'm like, okay, I'm going to use shrimp instead of chicken. So then when I made my next upgrade, it's like, okay, I'm still making my spaghetti, but this time I'm going to use mushrooms as my base instead of the shrimp. A gradual transition is what I did. Like for me, another thing that helped is having vegan friends, creating a kind of vegan environment Mm -hmm. and having like that, those like positive um, reinforcements, because otherwise you can't, you don't expect a crackhead to get off crack. If someone is constantly showing them photos of crack, if they're constantly hanging out with other crack that are, you know, snorting crack in front of them, it's going to be hard for them to kick the habit. Another thing, too, like, you know, I'm not saying I'm not suggesting someone like cut off all their friends. Like, no, your friends are like crackheads. Cut them off. No. But I am saying that find out 
who in your guys can help each other instead of like having the friends like, yeah, let's do TGI Fridays for, for lunch and like eat all these wings and unhealthy stuff. Talk to your friends like, girl, you know what? You're trying to uh, do something a little bit healthier and then you guys can inspire each other. The accountability is everything, especially in the early days. Woo! It's so helpful to do that. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you're working on now as far as getting the film to be uh, more accessible for all of us and um, just any of the work that you're doing going forward? Just let us know. Okay, so now, again, the film is available on YouTube. It's going to be available on Quelly TV, which is a Black-owned um, video streaming service. So I'm re- really excited about that. And film, and I'm a filmmaker. I do not want it to seem like, oh, okay, I'm doing a film on this. I'm exploiting it for my own personal game. Now I'm going back into another space never to talk about veganism again. That is not what I want. If I do want to kind of stay in this space. I I will need help. So I'm interested in kind of building a team of like-minded individuals who want to kind of help the cause in the same way that, you know, I'm approaching it. So I'm very open to, you know, just partnerships and ideas and taking this thing to the next level. Yes, yes, yes. This is so dope. I'm so excited for you. This is like, I feel like it's just the beginning, even though I know it's been like years in the making for you. But I feel like this is <laughs> I feel like this is just the beginning of all of the greatness that will come from your work. So I'm excited for you to show veganism to the everyday person so that they can all just grow from theirs. I'll be sure to like link all of your information at brownvegan.com for this episode. Tell us also where we can follow you on social media. You can follow me on Instagram. I am the invisible vegan, Facebook, uh, the invisible vegan, and Twitter is just invisible vegan without the the thank you so much jasmine for being on the show i really appreciate it thank you for having me i'm mad i couldn't get you in the dock but you know i know, <laughs> I know, I know. We, we made it we made it together somehow some way yes so. you couldn't get me in here but we're here now like on this platform so that's a good right, right. <laughs> i'm on your show <laughs> yes <laughs> I hope this episode was helpful. Come over to my Instagram or Facebook page at Brown Vegan and let me know your thoughts. Also, be sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes to make it easy for other people to find us. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will talk to you next week. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.